0: Welcome to the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and I'm with Brad Shepard. How you doing, Brad? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Will Shelton is well. He's. I'm just gonna say it. He's been uh, he's been suspended for two games for selling shoes that we gave him. Uh, <laughs> two podcasts, so he's he's gone. Actually, he's off doing like adult things. He's got like real responsibilities while Brad and I sit here and, uh, you know, talk. Talk football. So at least that's what I'm assuming he's doing. He's probably just like watching the, watching the Braves game.
1: Yeah. We self-reported that violation though. So we're okay.
0: Yeah. There's, you know, but you still got to sit him for a little bit. You You do. You You, do. You
1: just have to show the
0: NCAA that you, you know, at least pretend to care. That's right. It's, (laughs) it's uh it's definitely, it's buried somewhere in the bylaws that you cannot sell uh, your own possessions. So, they're not really your possessions at that point, I guess. Right.
1: We'll get him back by the Florida game. I mean, that's all that matters really. <laughs> all right. Okay.
0: So, uh, what's going on today? Uh, let's see the, um, I, I want to talk about this first because, uh, you know, one of the big stories is, is John Jennings, uh, coming back. Uh, we need that dude. He's a monster. Um, but, uh, we had word a couple of days ago that he had, uh, hyper-extended something somewhere, uh, according to Pruitt. So, you know, let's, let's be honest. Everything's pretty hyper about, uh, Juwan. Uh, but <laughs> he, uh, you know, he, he sort of hyperextended, it. And then some of the, some of the practice reports are saying that he's dropping balls and stuff and getting frustrated. So, uh, how much of a concern is that to you, Brad? Is it, uh. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking it's it's kind of a storm brewing because that, that dude's volatile and he gets frustrated. You know, that's when his first test comes is when he hits some adversity. So how worried are you about Juan at this point?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a, a concern. I mean, especially considering, you know, what we've heard all the offseason is that, you know, he's doing the right things from a leadership standpoint and he's, you know, responding the way you would like. To for him to respond, and of course we, you know, we have these thoughts in our head, dating back to, you know, the the Derek Rogers and Jans and Jackson era of players getting second chances and the reports being good, and then all of a the sudden they're they do something stupid and they're kicked off the team. I'm not Coker. sure that's what this is. Yeah, right, Coker. Mm-hmm. And, and and just to be fair to Jawan, I mean, we're not we're not jumping from point a to point D right now. I mean, obviously we're, you know, we're just speculating and, but from what it sounds and the way the reports sound to me is that he's frustrated with himself, you know, that maybe, maybe things are not, you know, coming together as quickly as he would like them to. I mean, obviously, you know, he, he's got to shake off a lot of rust considering he hasn't played since Georgia tech last year. And, you would, you would expect that to be the case anyway, especially considering he didn't go through the spring. But I think probably in his mind, being the kind of player and the kind of competitor that he is, wants to come in and, and, and prove that you know not only am I a guy who's bought in, but I'm a guy who is going to be one of the best players in this league because pretty much every report that has been – that has been written about Jawan after he's kind of gotten back in the good graces is that, you know, he's not a, a school first guy, and he wants this year to be his last year. So in order to, to get to to that next step, you have to take the first step. And that's something that he's probably struggling with right now. And, and you know, the little nicks that you get in, in fall camp and, you know, none of that stuff is, is helps so do i think he's going to be 100% or even ready to be a difference maker by the west virginia game i don't i don't think tennessee really needs to to rely on that right now and um which is a bummer because tennessee's going it's that's going to be an all hands on deck kind of game but um you know he's kind of as we've talked about the bell cow of that wide receiving core that we had anticipated and hoped would be kind of a team strength and so far in camp we've you know heard a lot of a lot about drops and inconsistency and the same kinds of things that we've heard for the past couple seasons so hopefully he'll get back and you know that that receiving core is kind of taking their lumps early on they'll get those out of the way and guys like Jordan Murphy who's had a great camp and Mark West Calloway and those guys can can really step forward and you know, kind of do some of the heavy lifting until Jawan comes back and is completely healthy.
0: Yeah, I, I want to clarify, too. You know, uh, I didn't mean to suggest that uh, there was oh, sure. any news yeah. out there that uh, he was doing anything other than, than the right thing, just that he was injured and having a little problem with the drops. Uh, but, you know, th- this whole trying to decipher Pruitt's comments, which, you know, always is hazardous because <laughs> he doesn't say much. Um, right. Right. Hyperextended that that has to be like a, I mean that can't be a re-injury of the wrist. You don't hyperextend a wrist, do you? Or do you? I don't know. Any idea?
1: No, I mean I, I I don't I yeah I I guess I don't I wouldn't think you. I mean I guess maybe you could. I wouldn't think that that would be a. I don't think it it's sounds like a knee, right? Yeah, it, it does. Yeah. It sounds like there's something that he tweaked yeah. in practice. That's you know maybe maybe not. Fully healed, and I mean he, hes not—he's not been a hundred percent. They've kind of worked him out lightly on the side, but um, you know, in in all fairness to to Pruitt and those guys, I mean, this is this is step one. I mean, they they haven't seen Jawan. I think that they know what to expect from Jawan of two years ago, but nobody really knows what to expect from Jawan right now. It's been yeah. a year since he's played, so you know, they're, they're doing exactly what they should do, which is, you know, want to see him take some live bullets. And right now he's not healthy enough to, to really do that. And I'm sure that's that's frustrating for the kid. And, and uh, you know, knowing a little bit, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that we're close family friends or anything, but knowing the Jennings family and knowing how competitive he is and, you know, how competitive Benny was, his dad who played at Lincoln County High School, yes, I'm going to get a little plug in there. I mean, you know, that's – those guys, I mean, they're, they're alphas. And, and when Jennings is not playing at a hundred percent, I mean, he, he, that chip on his shoulder gets, gets big and everybody knows it. So, you know, I, I think it's probably just a matter of wanting to be good enough to, you know, take it, take it to the next level this year. And then ultimately to the, to the next level next year in the NFL. And right now his body's probably not doing what he thinks it should be
0: so speaking of uh, guys that we know and have been following since high school somebody asked you on uh twitter uh, about greg emerson um yeah so you, you want you got a, an opinion on what's going on with him
1: yeah you know i mean it, it it's it's one of those things where you know it's it's hard to really kind of sort out what Pruitt wants versus what Tennessee has right now. And I think that that's what we're seeing all over the defense because Pruitt has this preconceived notion of what a big successful defense looks like. And he's got his players that he wants to fit in those roles. So you look at a guy like Malik gray, who was a a high four star kid who everybody in the country basically wanted, but, you know, Pruitt didn't really recruit him when he was at Alabama. And so you kind of see Malik now he's right. You see, you see a guy that's kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's played safety, he's played corner. Now he's moved over and playing receiver. And it's like, they're trying to find a place for him. I'm not suggesting that Greg Emerson is that kind of player, but he had a really bad spring. And by bad, I mean, a really rusty spring. The kid was, you know, at that point, 10 months removed from the, the, the gruesome leg injury he suffered at the opening camp, which I think I said on Twitter was a knee, but it wasn't, you know, it was a, a broken, a, a lower leg break. And, you know, that's that kind of injury is going to take a while to get over. And, and Greg right now, you know, he's played some on the strong side. Now, as everybody knows, Tennessee is trying to to shift to a 3-4 so he he seemed to be like an ideal candidate to play on the interior in a four three. Now he's a little bit, you know, he's 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 not quite quick enough to play on the edge. Tennessee's worked him some at the nose this, um, this week. He's maybe not heavy enough to play at the nose right now. I want to say he's maybe around three hundred pounds, which is not it's not a, a, a lightweight by any chance. But I don't really think that that his body is where it needs to be yet and I and I'll I'll I think that we should all give him the benefit of the doubt that you know at this point he's 14 months removed from that injury he's not really worked out the way he's needed to and and so Pruitt you know you've heard more about guys that Pruitt recruited like John Mancy and Karat Garland and even even Kingston Harris who I don't want to say all three of those guys are a little higher on the pecking order than Emerson right now but Emerson was one of the three or four highest rated recruits in Tennessee's class and he's not playing at that level right now that doesn't mean that he won't that doesn't mean that he's not going to live up to his rating but you know I think that that the natural progression of things is ideally you don't want a defensive tackle playing as a true freshman and Tennessee's not been in a position for the past decade where they've had that luxury and now, I think that that you know Tennessee would like to redshirt Emerson if they could and and that we can start talking about him next year. but I would be stunned if he unless the light comes on for him and he does some things that he reportedly hasn't done a lot of in camp so far if if I'd be surprised if we're talking about him a lot this year
0: well there there's some good competition there too. I mean, you know's right. got the got the nose locked down probably uh, Emmett Gooden. You know, they're just—he's mm-hmm. probably at one of the ends, right? Um, he is, and
1: he can play inside. And Alexis Johnson's having a really good camp, and he's a senior as well. And so you've got some players there. Kyle Phillips is yeah. a guy who the, this coaching staff really likes, who's kind of getting a second lease on life, like a lot of these guys. Um, and you know, so there are, there are some players there. There's not the depth, obviously, that Tennessee would like, and that's why you're going to see players like um, perhaps John Mancy and. Um, Karat Garland, get in that rotation. <clears throat> but, you know, I'm not sure that Emerson's going to be in that rotation this year. I mean, they moved – this is a guy that they moved who was one of the players that they moved for a week, week and a half to the offensive line back in the spring. And, you know, I mean, I'm not knocking any of those kids that they did that to because obviously they moved Delonte over to corner and he's probably been the most buzzed about player so far this camp. But a lot of those guys – You know, we're not – most of those guys were not guys where you're like, okay, you know, Eric Crosby's going to be in the rotation or, or, you know, uh, uh, Princeton Fant's going to be a guy that we're going to play at at tight end a lot next year. No, a lot of those guys were, well, we know Fant's down the depth chart. Let's play him at running back. Or uh, we know Crosby's really not quick enough to play on the defensive line. Let's move him over to offensive guard. And Emerson, I think that they're trying to find the place that he best fits, and we're still seeing that by them shifting him around on that defensive line. That's not to say that he's a tweener. That's not to say that he hasn't, that he's not going to find a home. I just think that this coaching staff wants to kind of exhaust all avenues and don't want to say this guy's definitely an end, this guy's definitely a tackle, and you know them maybe miss an opportunity where he's going to play his best and get him on the field the quickest because he is one of those players that. You look at him, he looks the part. He obviously did some things in high school that made a lot of the analysts like him and rate him high. It's just a matter of, you know, is he 100%? Where is he going to play? And, you know, when he does get healthy, how quickly is he going to step on the field?
0: Yeah, and as far as uh, being moved over to offensive line during the spring, there were a lot more questions on the offensive line in the spring than there are now, too.
1: Absolutely. Uh, did Absolutely. did not know
0: about Trey. Uh, Chance Hall looked like he was, you know – we didn't know whether or not he was going to be back, and we still don't know, but it's, it's looking, you know, the forecast is bright, you know. Or,
1: <laughs> yeah, Kennedy yep. wasn't on the team. I mean, yep, lots
0: yep, of things. Yep. yep. All right, let's talk about the uh, quarterbacks because, uh, you know, it, it seemed from most reports uh, that Garantano had the inside track, that he was winning the battle, even though he hadn't seized it, even though Pruitt hadn't uh, said that, you know one guy's running away with it so we're going to name him the starter uh, most of the reports were that garantano basically was was doing better than christ and then all of a sudden today um christ is named to the johnny United's golden arm watch list and uh, david shaw his uh, former coach at stanford uh, says he's an nfl draft pick and he was just too talented to be a backup on our team which I don't know if that's like a slight to Tennessee. Oh yeah, he's he's not good enough to play for us, but he can go start for Tennessee, right? So anyway, well, what do you make of all this?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I don't I don't ever want to you know feign firsthand knowledge of these things because I'm 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 not up there going to practice every day. But I've spoken to a lot of people who've seen um, snippets of practice, and then a couple of guys who've seen a lot more practice than maybe. <laughs> they should be talking to me about but um you know he he's he's you know i would be first of all i want to say that in preface that that you know all of this garantano is definitely the guy with you know all the reporters saying that haven't hasn't seen a whole lot of practice they've not seen a lot of all of the reps i mean sometimes as as we've seen the last few days they some people have seen you know the, the reporters have seen like seven to twelve minutes of practice i mean they're out they're not out there practicing for 15 minutes you know so they're, they're obviously seeing just you know a tenth of practice if that I mean so I don't I'm not sure they know obviously those guys have sources and they're hearing that that Garantano is looking better I think Garantano is is definitely the more, the, the most ta- the more talented of the two but it, based off everything I've heard Chris is is not is not the kind of guy that's going to not the kind of strong-armed quarterback who's going to advance the ball downfield with any sort of regularity. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not the quarterback. That doesn't mean that he can't move the offense. But, you know, the the things that that kind of concern me in looking at a Chris-led offense is in the past we've not really seen him throw the ball vertically a lot when he was at Stanford um, because he wasn't asked to within the framework of that offense. We had heard that he had a strong arm, but then most of the most of the um, reports so far is that you know Shroud and Garantano both have stronger arms. And then you, the thing that that to me is not a very good, not a very good um, thing to factor into that this the factor into that equation as well is that he's only a career fifty. He's only completed fifty nine percent of his career passes, so he's obviously not very accurate too. Now, that sounds like I'm sitting here, you know, punching the kid in the face repeatedly. I'm not doing that. I don't know, you know, what kind of player he is. I think that Tennessee would be a better football team if Garantano would realize his massive potential and play up to his capabilities. I think the issue with Garantano, and Pruitt's alluded to it in the last couple of um, times that he's spoken about the quarterbacks, is Garantano's, Garantano's internal clock is not where it needs to be yet. He takes way too many hits. He lets the pro- the pocket collapse on him way too quickly, and he doesn't throw guys open the way he should do in the way his arm is capable of. So until he gets that innate ability to do those things and to realize when he's got to get rid of the ball, I think he's going to struggle because he's not the running threat that Dobbs was. He can run a little, but he's not a running quarterback. And as far as Chris goes, maybe Chris – does those things a little bit better which then it's kind of a pick your poison well do you you go with the less talented quarterback who doesn't have a strong enough arm to throw the ball 25 yards downfield i'm not suggesting that's chris because i have not seen him throw um for tennessee or do you not go or do you go with the guy who you know maybe takes a little more sacks but can make a play on a deep ball i don't know and i think that tennessee's got that decision to make between those guys I think it's an imperfect situation neither of those guys are guys that we that we can be real excited about right now but I also think it would be I would be stunned if at some point throughout the season that that I'd be stunned if both of them didn't start at least one game at some point this year because I think both of them are going to have some opportunities even though I think Garantano will probably start the season as, as the starter
0: you know, while you're talking, I was thinking about this too. You're more of a national guy, so you'll you'll know this. But you know, he he played for Stanford in in the in the big uh, in the Pac-12. So right uh, now he's going to be playing in the SEC. So how much you know? I mean, Pac-12 is not the Big Twelve. It's not like there's no defense, right? But it's not SEC right. defense, right? How, how much of a difference do you think the defenses are in the in the Pac-12? You know that he put his numbers up against, as to what he's going to see this fall.
1: You know they're not consistently great defensive teams in the Pac-12. I mean, obviously USC and especially Washington um, have, have put up some really good numbers and produced some some quality NFL players. I think that that UCLA had a good defense when Moore was there. Um, as a general rule, but you know the, he, he didn't he didn't face a lot of great defenses. The thing that was the thing that was really kind of encouraging to me. Is you look at some of Chris's best games, they came against some of the better competition that he played, and, and mm-hmm. he had a really good game against USC a couple of years ago. But on the flip side of that, he had some really poor games against some really bad teams. I mean, and I'm not su- I'm not suggesting that San Diego State is a bad team. They've been a really really good team for the last couple of years on their level. But when you they got that you know, running
0: back too. What's that dude's name?
1: It was Shad Penny, and oh, then they had really Donnell Pumphrey two years ago. So they've had some. Really stud running backs, but you know you expect you expect Stanford to just annihilate teams like that, and they actually lost to that team a couple of years ago in Pumphrey's last year. So um, or maybe it was last year, it, whenever they lost they lost to San Diego State in, in one of the last couple of years, and that's been a, that game's been really close both times. So you know I I don't know. I, I think obviously the defenses are going to be faster in the SEC. The defenses are going to be deeper. And, and and they're better, but it's not like he's just played, you know, Big Twelve defenses. He, I mean, the Pac twelve actually play some quality football. It's just a different brand of football, and and Stanford plays a lot like we you know remember Tennessee playing. Um, other than you know maybe I mean they they play a lot more pro style smash mouth football on offense as we know, and but. You know, the big, the the Pac 12 just has different offensive sets, different schematics. I mean, there's not, there's a lot of West Coast elements. There's some pro style elements. I mean, you know, he played under center a lot, which I think Tennessee will run from under center a lot this year, too. But it's just, it's just a different animal. So, you know, two, I think that, 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 that we're maybe seeing Chris kind of. You know, if, if the reports are accurate and he's not looked great in kind of the, the, the scrimmage settings or the live-action the live action practice that the media has seen, it's probably because there's a little bit of a speed adjustment. Yeah. Um, maybe he can adapt to that. But, um, you so, know, it, it's very difficult to judge based on the first two weeks of practice. Obviously, we've only got two weeks to go till the ballgame start. But I'm not ready to rule Chris out of the competition but I do think that he's the less talented of the two.
0: Just quickly, is it fair to say that his offensive line at Stanford is better than uh, what he has now at Tennessee?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the offensive line at Stanford the last couple of years has been pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the numbers or the stats in front of me. Obviously, Shaw does a really good job recruiting, and, um, they. I want to say, um, two years ago they were much better than what they were last year, which um, might be a reason why Costello, who's a little bit more of a of a pocket roller and a better athlete, you know, kind of won that job. But because um, and they had, you know, Stanford had a had a couple of high four star, five star offensive line recruits that came in in this class that's going to be able to step right in that they need to step right in and place. So they had some losses off that offensive line but i want to say the last couple of years they've been they've been pretty pretty good up front
0: all right last thing before we uh go let will out of the subseller um <laughs> starting to ramp up talk uh, about what happened 20 years ago chris Lowe uh wrote a piece on the official uh, tennessee site about uh the 1998 championship team um And uh, there's some other stories that are starting to come out. I think Fulmer did a video interview with somebody uh, about it. And uh, so that got me thinking. There were so many great moments during that season. We really need to have one of our old school sort of bracket deals. Maybe the week of the Florida game, maybe we should do that. Just, you know, the the best moments of the season – so just sure. off off the top of your head, wh- what do you think are the top four or five? Just what what comes to your mind first? Uh, and you know you can you can breeze through the ones that we all uh, that we all know and probably come come to our minds first. But uh, let me hear your uh, top four or five.
1: Oh man, I mean that's I romanticized that season so much, and it was be- you know it's because that's the first time I was ever really away from home. I was a freshman at UT and, you know, we, we camped out to get Florida tickets and, you know, I I actually pulled, pulled seats in D. And so I was sitting like 40 rows up on the 50 yard line for that unbelievable game. There'll never be, there'll never be another moment, another sports moment in my life that meant more than, than that moment. So I would, I mean, that's, that's gotta be number one for me just because, you know, there was that, there was that, split second of silence and then just the stampede of people down the bleachers and all celebrating on the field and it was just it was just you know you you just can't put it into words if you weren't if you weren't a part of it it was just one of those things that it feels like we'll never have again I mean it was just (laughs) plus it was plus it was just you know you're 18 years old so you're looking at everything through through these lenses of I've you know I'm on top of the world I've got the rest of my life in front of me everything is is immense and and this is the most immense thing in this whole immense world right now and it was just i mean it really i know i romanticized it over the years but it was just really surreal and looking back on it it's even gotten more surreal as the years have gone on so that's one to me i mean number two um one of the one of the the few games toward the end of that season i Started covering a little bit of football, and I, I, but I I didn't cover the Arkansas game, and I was sitting in the stands with my dad and a couple of our friends here who are big Arkansas Razorback fans, and um you know that game it was just it was miserable. I mean the weather was just awful, yep. and Tennessee was just getting obliterated the whole game. It was just it was such a, a hangover game that that you just you know you had no you just had no sense in that game that that it was going to get that it was that Tennessee could win that game, you know I mean? And then, and then the, obviously the, the Billy Ratliff play, which I I will, I will forever say it was the Ratliff play more than it was the Sterner play because he, he created that. And it was, and you know, it was just a great play against, and people just, you know, people want to want to talk about Sterner making the blunder, but man, I mean, that was, that was, I mean, he beat Brandon Burlsworth, the, the late, great Brandon Burlsworth on that play. He was one of the best offensive linemen in the SEC. That was just, I mean, that was a great player making a great play against a great player and winning a football game. And then the the ensuing Henry runs afterward yep. were amazing. I mean, it was just, that was that was great to me. And then the other two that maybe, you know, that maybe are a little bit, um, everybody wants to say the, you know, the the national championship game. Obviously that was a, 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 a everything. I mean, all the moments—the Goodrich pick, the 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 peerless catch. I mean, all of those things were were great in that game. But you know, the t- things that stand out to me is that you know Tennessee was playing against a a pretty mediocre Bama team, and and the the peerless kick return that that really kind of turned things in that game was really was really a, an important moment you know kind of kind of to just kind of reassert that Tennessee reassert what Tennessee was that year in that game because everybody knows especially back then the Tennessee-Bama game could go either way so I would put that up there and then really just kind of the way everything came together in the season opener because against Syracuse because that was a sneaky good Syracuse team and that had a lot of great NFL players like McNabb and Conrad and I mean just all those guys that for that team and and you know Tennessee was coming off uh, you know Peyton leaving and and they weren't highly ranked I don't Will's the historian so he knows what they were ranked at the start of the season and everything but you know there was not really a lot of talk about them and then they kind of just you know went up to the carrier dome which is a really tough place to play and and pulled off that win and when maybe they shouldn't have I mean that was a a great game and I know you said four but the other one you know I, I was down at Auburn when Jamal got hurt and at that point you know everything you know you're kind of thinking there's there's nothing there is nothing right now that can stop Tennessee because nobody can stop Jamal Lewis and then Jamal gets hurt and I was sitting on the goal line at the Auburn game and I saw him get hurt and I was thinking oh he he he, he trotted off the field he's okay he's fine and my dad's like I don't know you can trot off the field and still have a torn ACL or you know MCL whatever it was and I was like no no he's fine and then he wasn't fine and you're thinking well that's it there's the chances and then you know that more of just instead of that moment just Henry coming in and being what Henry was I mean there's just so many great moments so many great heroes that year that, that just makes you really appreciate what that team was because it was really the true definition of a team people forget that Al Wilson didn't play a couple of games that year because he was hurt and even when he didn't you know he's the emotional leader over there, you know, swirling the towel on the sidelines and other people he was out stepped for Auburn
0: up too, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, I think he yeah. was. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things where in Tennessee, man, they recruited so well back then. And a lot of those Garner players that, you know, I mean, you Dwayne good or not Dwayne Goodrich, but um, Deion Grant and, you know, Fred wide and those guys that were just flipping studs. I mean, you know, but they were just deep and good and, when one guy went down, the next guy came in, and and they just won football games. It wasn't always pretty, but they imposed their will and won games. And it's just, you know, you that's not even mentioning T completing twenty one straight passes against South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. And those, I mean, there's so many moments. Yeah. Just a lot, yeah. a lot of great memories. Yeah, we definitely
0: need to do a bracket. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll,
0: we'll have to do that. Um, so I, I've, I've written this at. Uh, at the old site, but I don't—I've never said it on a podcast. So my it, my story about the uh, moment in the Arkansas game is: we were living in—I was in law school uh, at UT. We were living in a town home, uh, and so you know the walls are thin, and uh, right. you can you can hear everybody, and you know everybody's watching the game because you know when something good happens, the whole neighborhood erupts. And when something bad happens, the whole neighborhood erupts. (laughs) And, uh, so in the midst of all of this, and it, like you said, it was terrible weather in the midst of all of this, there's a traveling magazine salesman going and knocking on every door in our uh, community. Right. (laughs) And, uh, so this dude, um, he comes to my door, um, I want to say just seconds after uh, Sterner fell and fumbled. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this guy knocks on the door and he knows that he has to establish rapport, right? That's what you got to do before you can sell somebody. So he's like, who's winning. And uh, you know, <laughs> I was not going to explain the entire game in this moment to this stranger at my door wanting my money. Right. And so I just said, uh, Arkansas, you know, because they were still winning at the time, right? And he goes, mm-hmm. yes, right? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, like the dude didn't know what state he was in. He <laughs> yeah, had no idea. Right? He yeah, just saw no that idea. I was excited and he wanted to mirror me, right? So I just I just closed the door in his face, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure that, that uh, you know, the encounter ended with him flipping me off because that's usually what magazine sales encounters uh, end with anyway. Uh, but anyway, so that was my story about uh, the <laughs> sterner thing. Some guy was trying to sell me some magazines at the time. but uh, yeah. you know the other thing is the Al- the uh, Auburn game was incredible. Yeah. That uh, was it Sean Ellison Sean Ellison? Goal line
1: stand. Yeah
0: well there was the yep. goal line stand. so I mean they were on the one yard line and ran four consecutive plays and got stopped. Could't get a mm-hmm. yard uh, four times in a row. That was awesome. And then, uh, Sean Ellis, I don't know how long it was, 60, 70, 80 yards or something. Yep. And he ran it back. And the best thing about that is John Ward's call. He's sitting there, he's, ex- he's explaining it, you know, the whole time. And when he gets to the end, he says, he made it, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, man, he's and, the,
1: that's the best man. He's the best.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I remember the guys talking about, uh, how you could measure that, uh, uh, that interception return with a sundial, you could time it with a sundial it's as long <laughs> as it took. So anyway, there, there's a bunch of great stuff from that season. just love it. Uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll be playing that stuff and we'll be reminiscing during a good game against Florida, because if it's a bad game, it just gives you, you know, I remember uh, against Alabama several years ago, they were talking about, you know, I think it, it must've been 10, 10 years. And so it seemed like, Hey, Vols fans, remember when we were good, you know, just every, every time out. So hopefully we'll be having a good game. I
1: mean, it's sad that they've gotten to that point. I mean, I I do, I do feel like, you know, I mean, I, I I felt like, especially after the whole Curry debacle that, you know, when Fulmer, when Fulmer got in there, my first thought was he, he, he's, this is this is not going to continue to happen on his watch and you know I think and I've, I've said it before and I love I love Fulmer so I mean it's it's I don't mean this in any disrespectful way toward him but there is nobody I mean as much as you and me and Will and everybody else loves Tennessee there is nobody in this world that loves Tennessee like Phil loves Tennessee and as much as I love Phil and as much as you and Will love Phil. There's nobody in the world that loves Phil more than Phil loves Phil. So, <laughs> I mean, he, you know, I think that he sees this as an opportunity to, man, you know, if I not only have I won a championship here, but if I can get this program back, you know, where it's supposed to be, you know, they're going to put a statue of me out here. And I think we should because, I mean, we have been mired in such misery for years. And I just I don't know that. I mean, you know. I just – I think that that Fulmer is – you can tell by the way – by the money he's pumping into the program, by the player personnel staff, the off-the-field coaches and that he's outfitting the program with. I mean, all of these things that he's doing, he's going to do whatever it takes to get Tennessee football back right. And as I've said and I've written a million times, if you get football right, everything else falls in line. The rest of the athletic department, even your academics, because kids want to come to the school. They want to come to the school because of football. And it's just, I mean, it's this cycle that if, if you fix football, everything else falls in line. And I think that Tennessee is, I'm not saying they're going to fix it this year. And I'm not saying it's definitely going to get fixed, but they're doing the things it takes to fix right now. And that's, that's something we can all be excited about whether it's now or, or whether it's five years from now.
0: Yeah. One of his greatest strengths was he was that really consummate CEO kind of head coach, right? Mm -hmm. Where he had really good coordinators and he instilled loyalty in his coaching staff. So many of them stuck around for so long. I know that Cutcliffe took off for a couple of opportunities, but Chavis was there the whole time. Cutcliffe came back anyway. So I think he's in the right role, now, as a CEO um, of you know keeping all of the right people in the right places, um, so I'm excited about it. Plus, the fact that the way things went down is as, as um, ugly as it was, it really provides him today with just the right kind of motivation to do a really good job. Uh, yep. So, anyway.
1: I want right. to see him shake major's hand. I mean, that would make me I mean, I know it's not ever gonna happen, but if I, I would I would feel like I think that I feel like that if something happens and mm-hmm. that and that rift can somehow be mended somewhat, which it, it, like I said it will never happen. But if it would happen that it could like, you know, the two the two broken separate worlds can come back together as one, but you know, that's wishful thinking.
0: You know, I don't know that it won't ever happen. I I just was searching one of our uh, daily roundups a while ago. Seemed to suggest. um, Yeah, there's a story by a a site called Volswire. Oh, sorry. That's the wrong majors.
1: Uh Oh. Uh -oh. (laughs) That was
0: Bobby. Okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah, well. Yeah, all right. Well, so you're right. Yeah, that's never going to happen. But, yeah, it would be nice <laughs> to see.
1: As someone who spoke to Johnny a couple of years ago for a story I was doing on Gus Manning, I would be stunned if it happened. Yeah. I would be stunned. That's
0: too bad. I'd love to see that, though.
1: Yeah, me too. All
0: right. Well, that'll do it for this uh, edition of the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. We, we're probably going to have
1: um
0: shorter but more frequent ones from now on we'll see how that goes we're sort of playing it by ear we uh we got to get will back on the field and uh you know give him a little education as to selling his shoes and all that stuff so (laughs) um anyway uh check us out on um itunes and uh soundcloud And we still, I'm going to post this one to TalkShoe too. We have not been able to actually uh, get the feed switched over yet because I can't log into iTunes. I don't know what's up with that. Uh, (laughs) Trying to make this move and this transition is like I got the internet equivalent of two guys in a truck trying to figure it out. So, but we will get it figured out. So right now we're going to be uh, uh, dual posting uh, the latest episode at SoundCloud and at Talkshoe. Uh, But until next time, uh, I'm Joel Hollingsworth and I am with Brad Shepard and we hope you have a great night and go Vols. Go Vols. Welcome to the game day. I see how we're already screwed up, right? Because I'm still living at the old side. All right, so...